You are now listening to the Hack My Age podcast, the show that brings you guests for the woman going through the menopause journey. I'm your host, Zora Benamou, a gerontologist, certified sports nutrition, menopause, and breathing coach. I'm the author of the Longevity Master Plan and the cookbook Eating for Longevity. And if you're a woman in perimenopause or postmenopause, check out the programs on hackmyage.com website to biohack and optimize your menopause experience because menopause is inevitable, but suffering is optional. So now please head on over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review to help others find us too. This is a really important point because it costs nothing, but makes a huge impact for me to support a podcast from menopausal women to normalize this conversation about menopause and attract even more amazing guests to the show for you and for me. This episode is sponsored by Oxford HealthSpan, the creators of my favorite supplement, Primadine. I admit it, I am a total supplement junkie, but if I had to choose only one, it would be this one. And it's because Primadine is spermidine, and this is shown to activate autophagy, which is super important. Now, this is a cellular cleanup and recycling process that declines as we age. So as we get older, our cells accumulate a lot of junk and waste, which isn't good for our cells, our health, nor our longevity. So we need to clean it up. And if you want the research on this, go to OxfordHealthSpan.com and you can see all of it, showing how spermidine supports our brain, our hormones, and our heart health. And another great side effect is stronger hair, skin, and nails, but also longer eyelashes. But, you know, the real important reason why I love Primadine is because I have never, ever received as much feedback on a product I recommended as I have with Primadine. Literally every week, someone reaches out to me on Facebook or Instagram with an amazing testimonial. And... Most of the time, it's about improved sleep. And even some of you told me it's reversed a bit of your gray hair too. So I find that totally amazing. So I can honestly say with 100% certainty that Primadine is the best spermidine supplement you'll ever find. And you can try it with a 15% discount by using the code Zora, Z-O-R-A, on OxfordHealthSpan.com. Just be sure to get back to me with your results too. Now enjoy the show. I have to admit, I stole our next guest from my biohacking bestie, Molly Eastman of the Sleep is a Skill podcast. I, I heard her. I uh, heard Dr. Deanna Minnick on Sleep is a Skill talking all about melatonin. And I, I really loved what she had to share. So today we are taking a deep dive into melatonin for women going through menopause who seem to have some of the most problematic sleep anyways. So Dr. Deanna is a certified functional medicine practitioner, a nutrition scientist, international lecturer. She's an educator and an author. She's got over 20 years of experience in academia and in the food and dietary supplement industries. So she really knows what is going on behind the scenes of supplement formulations, and she's going to give us the truth on this too. 
She is now the chief scientific science officer of uh, Symphony Natural Health. And this is a company that makes health and wellness products. And she's been super active as a functional medicine clinician in clinical trials in her own practice with a company called Food and Spirit. She is the author of six books on wellness topics, four book chapters, and over 50 scientific publications. And she has a crazy full academic background. She studied nutrition science, including a master's of science degree in human nutrition and dietetics from the University of Illinois at Chicago, and a doctorate in medical sciences from the University of Groningen in the Netherlands. She also served on the Nutrition Advisory Board for the Institute of Functional Medicine and on the board of directors for the American Nutrition Association. Currently, she teaches for the Institute for Functional Medicine, University of Western States, Institute for Integrative Nutrition, and the Institute for Brain Potential. So she is a pretty busy person, and we're so lucky she squeezed some time for us. Dr. Deanna also loves to help people to practically and artfully transform their lives through nutrition and lifestyle. Through her speaking engagements, she gives workshops, she has in-person retreats, and you can find a lot of information about her on her website, Dr. Deanna Minnick. Uh, that's D-A-N-N-A-M-I-N-I-C-H dot com. Now, before we get started with the show, we have to read the fancy disclaimer that the contents of this interview are for informational purposes only and are not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. So now without further ado, let's meet Dr. Deanna Minnick. Welcome. Hi, Zora. Please call me Deanna. It's it's really great to be here with you. I love your Instagram reels and what you're doing for women going through the perimenopause and even are in postmenopause. So I was looking forward to this. I'm one of those women, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that. I heard you on the podcast. I was like, oh my gosh, you will be able to not only have an amazing background and and with so many topics, but you will understand the woman who's listening to us and you'll be able to speak to her uh, from the heart and with your own experience. So I just had to get you on. So thank you so much. Well, thank you. So so we're going to discuss melatonin and and we'll try to pick your brain as a nutritionist and a researcher on, on what women in menopause can do to support this smooth transition. So let's first start with melatonin. You know, most people associate melatonin with uh, helping us sleep better, but they're it, you know, there's, there's really, there's no better audience for sleep than a woman in peri and postmenopause, but let's break down what melatonin is and the role that it plays in sleep, but also the other many other functions of melatonin, because you call it a multitasker. <laughs> yes. And it's actually possible with melatonin. Oftentimes we hear, oh, people can't multitask, but melatonin can. So melatonin has at least six functions in the body. And most people think about it in relationship to sleep. And actually under the header of circadian rhythm is where sleep falls. But truly melatonin is anti-inflammatory. It's an antioxidant. It helps with the cellular biology and helping with preventing certain proteins from building up that could be toxic for the cell. So things like beta amyloid, which we know connect to things like dementia. It helps the mitochondria. You know, the immune system is very much keyed into melatonin. 
Uh, and in fact, the different immune cell types seem to be very responsive to melatonin, which is why I think during the pandemic, we heard so much about melatonin being included into protocols for immune health. So yeah, it's, it's for more than just sleep. When we think of sleep, but let me just talk about melatonin as a sleep hormone, because there is something to that. So when it gets dark at night, or at least when our eye is perceiving darkness, there are certain cells in the eyes that are picking up on that darkness and then communicating to certain parts of the brain, ultimately to the pineal gland in the brain, which will then start to manufacture melatonin. In that true sense, it's a hormone because the pineal gland makes that melatonin and then that melatonin travels systemically throughout the body to connect to the cells in the rest of the body to say, okay, from a circadian rhythm standpoint, we are now in this darkness time. And that means that we need to go into this rest and restoration mode. So in, a, in the sense of melatonin being a hormone for sleep, it is, you know, there, we, there is truth to that. However, melatonin is a little bit unique in that it's not just a hormone for sleep. We truly do see it having all of these other functions in the body. Uh, we even eat melatonin when we're having foods, whether it's animal foods or plant foods, we're eating melatonin. Our gut is producing melatonin, and that's a little bit different. So when we look inside the cells and inside the gut, the type of melatonin that's produced, or at least how it's utilized, is just a little bit different than what the pineal gland is producing in response to darkness. But we can unpack that some more and then talk about how this all dovetails into menopause. Are there many different types of melatonin? Because you said the one that's produced in the pineal gland, the one is the gut. They, they probably have different functions, but are they structurally or the same or do they look differently? They look the same. Structurally, they're identical, but where they are utilized is different. So when we say endocrine, like the endocrine system, what that means is that there's a gland that produces a structure known as a hormone that then travels somewhere else to have an effect. In that true sense, the melatonin produced from the pineal gland is a hormone. However, in the gut, the melatonin that's produced is used locally. And it's used not in an endocrine way, but what is called an autocrine or a paracrine way, meaning that it's used locally by that cell or by the cells around it. So it's not really traveling systemically like we would see with the pineal gland. But all in all, it's the same melatonin. Even in plants, that melatonin looks like our melatonin. The melatonin in animals looks like our melatonin. So the structure is the same. Where it's produced, and how it's, how it's utilized is a little bit different based on the organ. So the super interesting melatonin being produced in the gut. Really, a lot of people would never know that. I think we're always thinking melatonin pineal gland, the brain, but it's really amazing that it does. So when we, what we do know is that if we were to test our melatonin levels uh, throughout our lifespan, we would see that it declines as we age. So does this have anything to do with the changes in hormones that are as women, you know, go through menopause or is there something else going on? Well, that's a really good point. So what we see with all of the hormones more or less is that 
we from puberty onwards, you know, basically we've got relatively higher levels. And then so we're talking estrogen, testosterone, progesterone, and even melatonin. So just to be pretty selective about which ones. So the sex steroids and the pineal hormone. And then as we go through midlife, we start to come down, down, down. Now we enter into the 40s. We're going down even more. By the 50s, we're we're pretty much that's where we've got menopause happening, right? The cessation of menses. And we also have melatonin bottoming out. By the time we're in our sixth, seventh, and on out decades, all of those hormones are incredibly low. And they kind of vary depending on how we live our lives too. So I think that one of the things that I think about then is that we go through a pause. You know, if we think of even menopause, we think of andropause, which is lower testosterone. There's also, and this was coined by Dr. Dickon Weatherby in a podcast with him on melatonin. And he said, it sounds like it's tone pause. It's the same kind of trajectory. So yeah, all of these hormones are starting to come down. And so that's why we have to think, well, wow, a lot of things go up during that time of life. We have greater sleep disturbance. We have greater cognitive issues. We have greater issues with lean body mass. We have issues with just symptoms overall and increased rates for diseases. That would be more neurological or even we can even cardiovascular. And it may be that the web of hormones that are all sinking and coming down are somehow connected in to this increased risk for chronic disease. It's important then to top up your melatonin or to keep it just as a you would with any of your hormones to make sure that they're balanced and that they're that you have enough. So I'm wondering then, do women have different rates of melatonin loss than men? Uh, not necessarily, not that I'm aware of, but what we know is that uh, when you take a melatonin supplement, there is a study that showed that men have actually reduced absorption compared to women. Hmm, so women actually get the the upper. <laughs> <laughs> upper hand on that one. You know, we <laughs> absorb melatonin better. We may actually need it. You know how the body just adapts based on need? There can be an issue there. But in terms of just male, female, I haven't run into anything that would suggest that women are more depleting of their melatonin than men. But that is plausible. One of the things that depletes our melatonin is actually exposure to artificial blue light at night. So for some people with light eyes, like I have green eyes, I think you have hazel eyes, um, people with blue eyes, we are more susceptible because of just the nature of our eye color to being more sensitive to the exposure of artificial blue light at night. So what that means is if you're on your computer late at night, giving off a lot of that artificial blue light, right, that's not the red light that we would see with sunset, that is a toxic light. And it prohibits the eye from making and signaling to the brain to make melatonin. So if we think about personalized status and what makes people's melatonin go low, because we could start to see low levels even earlier than the 50s, that could happen in children even. And, and in fact, children have the highest levels of melatonin throughout the life cycle. So if we were just to look at every age group, kids from three months until puberty have the highest levels. We have the highest levels of melatonin when we're children. And then when we go through puberty, we start to decrease that level of endogenous melatonin. 
And then we, again, bottom on out into our 50s. And for some of us, we're depleting that even faster because of how we're living our lives, how we're eating, how, you know, again, if we are inflamed, we're going to reduce melatonin potentially. And so I think we have to think about all of the different factors that could lead to issues rather than only just age or even gender. That's a very interesting point you make because who would have thought, okay, connecting your the food that you eat, if you say, oh, I don't eat well, so I don't sleep well, you may think, oh, it's because of the food, but it could be because of the lack of melatonin as well, contributing to that, not just a, a bad meal or too much food and you can't sleep at night. So that, I, that's, a, that's a super interesting point. Yeah. And, and just to dive into sleep for a second, because first of all, Zora, like I was thinking that I would just kind of coast through menopause. So I'm in, let's see, this is September. I'm in month nine of no period. So I actually haven't achieved menopause yet. Menopause is that moment of 12 months, 12 consecutive months of no period. So I'm in my ninth month of no period. It's been great. (laughs) (laughs) But if it comes back, you got to start, put the clock all the way back. You've got to start start it all over. (laughs) So I'm keeping my fingers crossed that I'm in for the home stretch here. So one of the things I noticed in month three is that my sleeping became erratic. And I, my family can attest to this. I am a solid sleeper. I'm the kind of person where I could fall asleep at a movie theater. I can fall asleep in a car, in a train, in a bus, on the plane. If I'm tired, I'm just, I just go to sleep. Well, that wasn't the case in month three of no period. So one of the things that happened, and I remember it was just earlier this year, February, March, where all of a sudden I'm waking up and I'm sweating and I'm hot. And it's a different kind of heat than I've had before, right? This isn't like you've got sunburn heat or you just feel overall hot because it's a sunny day. It's like it's an, an internal surge. And it would wake me up. It was so pronounced that I would wake up. So then I, you know, I was already doing many different things to help me with my perimenopausal complaints. So, and a lot of things did help. They took the edge off, right? And so I was doing things like, first of all, I had to tailor my physical activity. No more strong cardio. I needed to gravitate to more resistance training and start focusing on muscle mass. So I was changing that. My diet pretty much stayed the same because my diet's extremely clean, very balanced. That's something I've worked a lot on. Supplements changed a little bit. So I was already doing feminescence, maca life. So feminescence, maca life, this is a product from Symphony Natural Health where I work. So I thought it was perfect. I'm like, this is perfect. I'm working for a company that actually has a product that can fit what I need. So the feminescence line of products has specific maca phenotypes that are designed for certain hormone functions in the body. So it's not like going to the grocery store and just buying maca off the shelf and then just putting that into your smoothie. These are specific maca phenotypes with known phytochemicals to help my entire endocrine circuit to increase the production of hormones to the best of my body's ability. So I was already doing feminescence the year before. So I you know, I, I think that I staged that well, and it was really good for helping me to bolster my hormone levels. Then as I was going through a bit more, I realized, you know, I bet my melatonin is low because what I know about that 2 a.m. window, you know, like when most women wake up, it's usually around 2 a.m. I can, I always like, I look at my clock. I'm like, yes, it's 2, 2 a.m. On the you know, dot. I'm waking up. <laughs> On the dot. <laughs> 
So what we know about that 2 a.m. wake up call is that that may be connected to melatonin. It was kind of, uh, I would say, serendipity because all of the research that I was already doing on melatonin was leading me in that direction. What I would see in the literature is that when you look at the melatonin curves, they peak at the peak of darkness, which is about 2 a.m. So then I started to just connect the dots in my own life and in my own mind of saying, I must be low in melatonin because I keep waking up and having these hot flashes and night sweats. So then I adjusted and started taking herbatonin, which is a plant melatonin. So totally from plants. It's not synthetic. It is directly from the plants concentrated themselves. So it's rice, chlorella, and alfalfa. And I started to take a higher dose. I, I was already taking a very low dose, a physiologic dose, but I'm like, you know what? I think I'm going to have to bump it up. And in fact, I've been talking about this on different podcasts, just as my own anecdotal experience. And I just have been receiving a lot of positive feedback. We've been, been getting people emailing, talking about it and talking about how it's been helping them. Just even most recently, like this morning, I had a health coach reach out and she's like, you know, it helped her. She just wants to understand the science a bit more. So I'm not saying that it's going to help everybody. I mean, waking up at 2 a.m. could be a number of things. It could be low blood sugar. You know, I also have some issues with not high blood sugar. My blood sugars can sometimes get too low. So I have to watch for that. It could be, uh, goodness, you know, maybe stress, problem solving. You know, I think it could also be, here's my theory. I think it could also be related to toxic load. So what do I mean by that? What I mean is that, you know, over our lifetimes, we start to accumulate things in our bodies, things like plastics, parabens, plasticizers. Um, we have heavy metals in the environment. These things typically store in fat tissue. And I think often they can get in the way of many different processes in the body. And when we're sleeping at night, we're supposed to be resting, restoring, and actually doing a bit of detoxification. In fact, the brain does a bulk of its detoxification at night. So the brain cells shrink a bit so that there can be greater convection or flow of metabolites out of the brain into the glymphatic fluid, into the lymphatic system, and then to get rid of those compounds. So sometimes I think, even though I've worked long and hard on detoxification of different things in my own body, as we get older, we may be less efficient at that removal process, especially as it relates to the brain. And I think this is a theory, not science. I think that based on what I know about melatonin being low, melatonin being instrumental in that brain detox, and the wake up at 2 a.m., I think it may also signal that we may have greater toxic load or that we are moving and trying to mobilize those different things through the body better. So maybe that flurry kind of creates the wake up. In Chinese medicine, so I'm married to an acupuncturist, so uh, no <laughs> nomad here. <laughs> but um, in acupuncture or in traditional Chinese medicine, the organs have different times of day that they are seen as like having their activity. And what we know about the liver in traditional Chinese medicine, and I'm not an acupuncturist, but this is from my husband and just knowing what I know about TCM, liver time is between 1 and 3 a.m. And again, when do most people wake up? The liver is like trying to get its 
garbage detox. out and, you know, trying to de detox and, you know, and some people say about dreaming too, like they have more vivid dreams with melatonin. And I actually think that that could be a good thing. You know, sometimes we suppress things with melatonin. We can change the different sleep cycles. We may allow things to be processing, detoxing. I think we need to think about detoxification in a physical, emotional, mental, and even a spiritual way, because going through the perimenopausal transition, my life is being redefined. I was hoping you would ask me, what's my one word? <laughs> because yes. What is your one word for menopause? Describe it in one word. Redefinition. It is like <laughs> I have to redefine who I am in body. You know, my emotions are more at the surface. You know, it's almost like puberty in reverse. Everything like that flurry of puberty, which was I, I don't know if I would say tumultuous, but let's just say that that was a memorable time of my life where there was a lot going on physically and psychologically. And I kind of feel like I'm doing that, but with more wisdom, like I'm able to temper it better, but I'm using it and harnessing it in a way to redefine my life. Because if you think about it, Zora, I mean, it's like, this is like the next half of your life. Many of us are going to live much longer than our parents due to science, technology, just better living. And so I think that, you know, we've got the second half of our lives to like redefine. It's almost like we're fresh, fresh into our lives again. Like we're, we just hit the reset button with menopause. I love that. The reset button. It reminds me, it's, I just interviewed Julia Lynn and she's a uh, dolphinine and Instagram and yesterday, and, and she wrote a book called the power of decades. And, and, you know, really she was saying, this is, this is an amazing chance. We don't look at it this way, but the power decades. And she also calls people of age, women aged 50 or over queen agers. Because it's like you said, a little bit re <laughs> in reverse. It's a rebirth. It's a new, a new time, a new phase, and we're kind of going through this transition. And we're queens, right? We're not princesses anymore. We're queens. So I just love that term and terminology is queenagers, the power decades. There's so much negativity surrounding menopause, and and not to, to to deflect. Of course, you know it is challenging, and there are people who are really suffering. But we don't have to anymore. And if we only look at that negativity, we just create this fear. And sometimes our attitudes about menopause uh, also can influence our, our symptomology. So I, I think it's really important that we do bring some positivity into it and share how we can manage it and and not have to suffer there's so many things that we can do and it's just starting now where we can start to get information about it because previously there was nothing really out there that we could find and uh and i'm glad you you brought this up hey i'm butting in for a quick second if you enjoy the content brought to you in this podcast consider supporting hack my age by becoming a patron on patreon.com this is where you can drop a tip or become a member for the price of a coffee members get special material free coaching and private zoom calls join us by going to patreon.com that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash hack my age thanks for your support now let's get back to the podcast have a question about the melatonin because you did say you started to mention about um i don't remember the brand name but it's a melatonin that you started to say it was has plants and and so it makes me think it's it there's melatonin and there's melatonin like what what is the difference like we can't just go to the pharmacy and buy whatever it's not going to be the same so most of the melatonin that's in the market sold as a supplement is synthetic which means that it's been chemically processed so it's gone with a starter chemical compound, typically a petrochemical, and then it moves through the chemical synthesis process. So back in the 1950s, like the late 1950s, 
melatonin was isolated from the pineal gland of animals. And then it was concentrated. But just think of how many poor animals you have to sacrifice to get just small amounts of melatonin, right? So this wasn't feasible. And then you have all of the issues with prions and viral infections. So what ended up happening with melatonin historically through the supplement industry is that it transitioned over into this quick chemical process. So from a molecule perspective, it looks the same. But if you look at what you could get by way of that process, you could get contaminants that form. For example, there is a great published review paper on phytomelatonin. And in one of the tables, it goes through the 13 different contaminants. And there was something like three different kinds of thalamides. There were uh, different kinds of formaldehyde compounds. So if you're not savvy and you don't know the manufacturer very well of the melatonin that you're buying from, you could run the risk of having adulterants in that melatonin. And then there's just other issues like with the factories producing this and all of the pollution. And, you know, melatonin is a very popular supplement. It is. And how many times people just go pick up whatever at the pharmacy and I, without even realizing this uh, possible risk. So it sounds like I'm... <laughs> I'm trying, to, I'm trying to liken it to a bioidentical because melatonin is a hormone and we know bioidenticals are identical to the body. Some people call it body, body identical when they're talking about estrogen and progesterone. But is there a sort of a bioidentical or body identical melatonin? Because you said structurally it's the same, but it's got all the other garbage in it, which is is the risk. It's, it's, got, it's got, potentially it has other garbage in it. And so that's why I like Herbitonin. So the name of the product that we were just talking about, the one that I take, is a plant melatonin. So what it has in the capsule is the bioidentical melatonin that we find in plants. But it also has the other things that come along with that melatonin in the plants. So things like lutein, zeaxanthin, which are carotenoids that embed into the eye, things like essential fatty acids, things like, you know, small amounts of vitamins and minerals, but whatever was in that plant matrix came along with the melatonin. So here's the next part of this. There was a study published in 2021 in the journal that's called Molecules. And the researchers did a number of cell tests, just comparison between synthetic melatonin and herbitonin, just side by side. And what they found was that the herbitonin outperformed the synthetic melatonin. Wow. So when you look at anti-inflammatory activity, it was more than six times greater in its anti-inflammatory potential. It was up to close to five times greater in its ability to scavenge free radicals, which is good because that speaks to its antioxidant property. In a skin cell line, what the researchers found was that the plant melatonin, the herbitonin, was two times better and again, scavenging the, the free radicals. And when you look at the ORAC or the oxygen radical absorbance capacity, you know, this is just like a general measure of antioxidant potential. The herbitonin was more than nine times greater than synthetic melatonin. So what this tells us is that not only do you have the omission of contaminants, but you actually have, because it's still within the cell of the plant and everything that was included there, you're getting the benefit and the potentiated effect of other things that are with the plant melatonin. So it's like for biohackers and people that are really into like, okay, I want an amplified effect. If I'm going to take melatonin and different people are taking melatonin out 
there for their biohacking journey. You know, I've been on the biohacker babes as an example. I know they're all into melatonin. I've talked with Dr. Carrie Jones, root cause medicine, like everybody is like so into this, right? Well, if you're going to take melatonin, amplify the response with the herbatonin because it's actually giving you more and it's potentiating the melatonin. And you don't have the toxic contaminants for sure, because those have been tested for. So what about that? Since it's a plant and, and I I've been learning about spermidine and spermidine, do you know what spermidine is? I do. I'm not, a. I can't speak widely to it. Well, there's a, yeah. So there, the similar, it comes from a plant. And so I know that the one that I take is spermidine. It is, they defat the, the, the oils from the wheat that it's extracted from. And they do that because they don't want the fatty acids to go rancid, you know, cause there's, oh. a, it can go ox, it can oxidize. So that's really important. So when I, now that I'm buying supplements that are come from plants, I always question, I'm going, oh my gosh, I wonder if you're putting yourself at risk because they are not because most other supplements, at least in spermidine, they don't, they don't do that. And I'm amazed that actually primaries figure that out. And, and it's a good thing they told me. So now I'm wondering if the plants, I don't know what the plants that are using in herbatonin, if those are, do they have fatty acids? Is there a risk? Are they defatted? Uh, or is it just so low? It's not, it's negligible. The amounts would be negligible. They're small amounts. And also this is the, how the melatonin is packaged. You know, many, the, I actually just happen to have some on my desk. <laughs> you can see they're half gone. <laughs> and, and, yes. And the reason why they are um, in this kind of packaging is because of the heat, light, and oxygen that could potentially break down the melatonin. So the fact that they're individually sealed is a good thing because just like you said, it's preventing the rancidity or the oxidation of susceptible components, including melatonin, not just the fats, but the melatonin itself. I want to say something about fat Zora because one of the hacks about taking melatonin is that it's kind of unique in its chemical structure because it's it's a bit fat soluble and it's water soluble. So it flexes to being in your blood and being in your brain. I mean, it's all throughout your body. So it can be water loving, it could be fat loving. So one of the ways to take it to have potentially more of an even sustained release naturally is to take it with a fish oil soft gel. Or if you don't do fish oil, to take it with just a little bit of something like an almond butter, peanut butter, you know, just like something that has fat. You don't need a lot, but I think we need just a little bit of fat in order to ensure the best carrying into the, the digestive system and then uptake ultimately. That's a great pointer, a great hack. I think that's, uh, I'm going to try that. <laughs> I got to try this Arbitonin. It sounds quite amazing. And uh, I would love to get some feedback on anybody else who's tried it. Please like get in touch with me <laughs> because it sounds yeah. very different. And, 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 and obviously nobody wants to have uh, some extra toxins in their body that's no longer needed. And so what, then what about if, how many milligrams are in there? Because every, the dosage is, you know, we, especially when we get into the biohacking space, you know, we, first you talk to people who are like on 0.3 milligrams, but then the biohackers are doing 10, 100, who knows, Ben Greenfield, like 500 milligrams. I don't know how much that's costing him. So what about the dosage? How much do we need? And how do we know if we need, kind of like vitamin D, I always say, well, you test and assess and you measure and then Test something out, see how it works, and then test again. Is there a way we can do this for melatonin, or should we be doing it, or does it just not matter? 
Okay, a lot to say there. Yeah. First of all, mm -hmm. um, you mentioned vitamin D. I just want to enter vitamin D into the discussion. There was a study showing that when we correct for vitamin D insufficiency and deficiency, we improve melatonin levels. So the article that we published back in the Nutrients Journal last year, actually in the title was calling melatonin the next vitamin D because they're kind of similar. You know, they have so many of the same functions, but they're not the same. You know, sunlight is to vitamin D as darkness is to melatonin. So they're kind of like yin and yang, brother and sister, and they share a number of different functions. So I just want to get that out of the way because correcting for vitamin D can help to correct to some extent for endogenous melatonin production. Like, are you in order, are, are you just like very, very low in melatonin because of your artificial blue light, or is it because of the vitamin D or, you know, how you're living your, you know, all of those things we have to be thinking about. So in terms of dose, I, let me just say as a disclaimer that I think it's always best to work with a practitioner because they can assess your personalized needs. They tend to know more about testing, even the symptoms that would connect to melatonin insufficiency. So there is a urine test to see whether or not the body is producing the metabolite of melatonin. I think it's okay. I think it has pros and cons. You know, one of the cons would be, what if you had light exposure? You would be changing your, it, it can be changed so readily by so many things. Another thing that can change the metabolism is, did you have coffee that day? You can change your melatonin metabolism just by having coffee. So, you know, the lab tests are out there. I think they're okay. They're not what I would say should be used as like the ultimate gauge. I think we need to look at age, lifestyle, and see where we're at. So let's just say somebody's 35. They're a biohacker. They want to get healthy and, and stay well into their 40s and, and on out. If we look physiologically at what the body needs, you know, there's so much talk about microdosing and, you know, sometimes less is more. You know, we, we kind of get into that Goldilocks principle of like, not too little, not too much, just right. So there was a study by Dr. Richard Wortman at MIT many years ago, like in the early 2000s. And that 0.3 milligrams was found to be most effective for sleep when compared to, I think they had 0.1 milligrams and one milligram in the study. So 0.3 milligrams, the reason why you're hearing about that dose is because it's actually the level that the body would make from the pineal gland in midlife. It's around that level. It's about that 0.3. So we talk about repletion, like just like we might think about hormone repletion with bioidentical hormones. You don't want to overinflate. You just want to get back to where you were. So when I think of melatonin, you just want to get back to where you were. I'm 52, about to be 53. I want to get back to where I was when I was 35. So a 0.3 milligrams, that's a nice dose to patch the gap of what we might be losing. Now, there is another dose that I mentioned already with relationship to sleep that I tried out at the three milligrams. I think that sometimes we might need more. Now, when people go into the double digits, triple digits, I think that that's excessive and there is not enough science to support having those doses. And we know we do not know the implications of long-term use of those kinds of doses. I feel comfortable with doses under 10 milligrams. So when I was having these hot flashes and wake-up moments, I would do the three milligrams of herbitonin and that helped me significantly. So sometimes, you know, you don't want to overdo it because you don't know what kind of 
things you might be connecting into. Keep in mind that the mitochondria will be modified through melatonin. You know, you're going to be changing antioxidant status and redox potential of cells. So I think it's always best to start low and go slow. And then if you need a little bit more, then you start to graduate on up. You know, I'm just thinking of a friend of mine who is a naturopathic doctor, and she heard me doing one of my melatonin podcasts. And she told me separately, she's like, Deanna, I never thought that 0.3 milligrams would actually help people. But she started using it with her clients and did find that it was, it was effective. Uh, just need that physiologic dose to, again, smooth the gaps, fill the potholes, if you will, that we see with age. What about too much melatonin? Or is it possible, some people say, if you take too much, you're going to stop producing your own endogenous uh, melatonin. Does that happen? Hey, I'm so glad that you asked that question because that's like the big question on social media, right? Um, so there have been at least four different prospective studies all investigating that question. And the answer is no, that endogenously speaking, you're not altering your pineal melatonin by taking melatonin. And Dr. Russell Ryder, I don't know if you know that name, Dr. Ryder, R-E-I-T-E-R, he's written a book on melatonin. He's done a lot of research on melatonin, and he would also contend the same. But what you may see is a saturation of receptors. There's kind of like a ceiling or a threshold at which the body will no longer respond to the excess melatonin because you simply don't have enough receptors to engage with that molecule. So it, it just becomes like, okay, why do we need so much then? Much also depends on how you metabolize it. If you're a fast metabolizer, that's why having a little bit more and edging out into that three milligrams might be better. I don't know about for you, but you can kind of gauge how you will metabolize uh, the melatonin by how you metabolize caffeine. So as an example, like I'm a person at night, if I had an espresso at 9 p.m., I could go to bed at 9.30. Caffeine doesn't affect me. Like I'm a fast metabolizer. My husband is like, how can you do that? <laughs> it would be the same with melatonin. Theoretically, how I metabolize caffeine, and there's kind of mixed data on this, but I have been talking with people and listening to their responses. And what I surmise is that that's an indicator how you metabolize coffee and caffeine says how you will metabolize melatonin. So if you're a slow metabolizer and you're the person where you're like, ah, I can't have coffee after 12 noon, otherwise I won't sleep then you're going to be doing better with a lower melatonin because it's just going to take you longer to metabolize it. Otherwise, you might wake up groggy because you're still metabolizing the melatonin. You see ah, what I'm saying? That makes so, sense, like, yeah. I can see a lot of people say they're, they're groggy. And I'm, I'm with you on that in terms of the metabolizing. I, I can drink coffee at night. It doesn't affect me, but I, I don't. But anyways, the melatonin, I, I only tried melatonin once and I remember getting up to a dosage of like, five or six milligrams. I'm like, I, I feel nothing. I just kind of, I think I, I finished the whole bottle and I was like, kind of gave up. And, uh, but I, I mean, my sleep is pretty good already. I can't complain, but still I felt nothing, but I, now it makes sense because the way you, if I'm metabolizing, like I metabolize caffeine. Yeah. It's uh, and I, it wasn't herbitonin. So I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to try we the need herbitonin. To send you some. We will send you some <laughs> herbitonin to try. I mean, just in closing here too. I mean, if you look at it, it's green. Like there, I even tried to give it to my cat because she's got some <laughs> gut issues. And I was like, oh, they love greens. They would eat alfalfa normally. So, you know, you can open up 
the capsule and just kind of mix it into a little yogurt, a little almond butter, again, just a little bit of fat. And the way that you take any kind of melatonin supplement is traditionally about an hour before bedtime, you know, 40 to 60 minutes. But like my husband, he's a slow metabolizer and he wakes up groggy. So I said, Mark, you know, you just need to take it like maybe three hours before bedtime. You know, you kind of have to figure out what's your sweet spot. But like you, if you don't have symptoms, you're not going to notice an impact. Like I think just like you said, you didn't have gut issues. So, you know, maybe, you know, you're all good. You don't need to fix anything. Yeah, but we're biohackers. We like to optimize, you know. That's true. It's <laughs> terrible. So probably like talking, a but... 0 0.3, you know, just to start might be good for you just to um, see how that works for you and just monitor things like inflammation. In the biohacking community, we talk a lot about peptides and there is a peptide that is quite effective for sleep called epitalin and it's a sublingual uh, uh, peptide. And, and I'm wondering, and that, if that works on the pineal gland as well to produce your own uh, melatonin. So I'm wondering what your thoughts are, if you heard of it, any, and how does that compare to say herbitonin? Cause I, it's no point in talking about <laughs> melatonin anymore, uh, but just, have you heard of it? No, I haven't. I, I don't know. I'd have to look into the mechanism. It's a pharmaceutical or it's a supplement? It's a, it's a, it's a, a sublingual spray and, it okay. is a and it's a peptide. It's, it's, it's a peptide, but it's classified as a, as a, as a food or nutritional product. So it's sold in the, on the market. Any, anyways, you don't need a prescription for it or anything. And I so I've not seen studies on it. Are there studies to yeah. show that it's actually having that effect? Okay. I'll have to look at it. Yeah. Look, it would be great to know. Your thoughts. You know, I always say if it's in food, then I, I trust it more. You know, melatonin is in food, you know, and just taking that in, especially with the complex of a food just feels right to me. So, you know, whatever works for people, you know, I think, again, not not negating the obvious of good, healthy eating and even lifestyle. There is a question, since you're a nutritionist, uh, people will say melatonin, you can get it from food, right? Just like you said, it comes in food. So why don't we just eat the food instead of taking a supplement? So if we just think about that 0 0.3 milligrams that I just spoke to, it would take about, uh, gosh, uh, 1,500 uh, cherries in order to get that amount of melatonin. Uh, wow. So the amount is minute and it's also variable. So it's, it's not like a standardized amount, like in a cherry or in a pistachio or in a banana. I think that's the number for cherries. You know, it's like in the thousands, right? And also for pistachio, we would need you know, we're, we're talking like in the thousands. So who's going to eat that before bedtime? That's yeah. not practical. <laughs> it's okay. it's so I think not healthy okay. either. <laughs> 1500 no, cherries. no. Um, but it is good for, for people in general to be getting enough protein in their diets because that will ensure that you get tryptophan, which ultimately does convert to melatonin through a series of reactions. Excellent. All right. I know it's on the hour. I'm going to let you go. We have to have a part two because we want to talk yes, a little bit more about do. hormones and menopause. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, people can find you. I'm going to have all the, the links in the show notes on your website, uh, Deanna Minnick, your Facebook, the same name, Instagram as well. I have your email. And I also have some articles that you sent me as well. And I'd love to any other articles you mentioned, uh, research articles, please send them to me because I'd like to keep those in the show notes. I know people like to look through that. And before I, I let you go, and as well, actually, I know that the Urban Tone, and I'm going to have to try it. I'm going I'm to get a link for everyone who's listening, I'll ask you for a discount code, please, if that's possible. <laughs> and so people can buy it. We got a discount code. It's hack my age 15 for 15% off of 
Herbitonin, and anything you find on the Symphony Natural Health website. And they can is is it only sold in North America or is it Europeans Asians can it's it's sold worldwide, but you and people can find it through the symphonynaturalhealth.com website. So you just select the country that you're in and then you can have it sent to you there. Great. Symphonynaturalhealth.com and I'll have a link to that. And uh before I let you go, any last words for a woman going through menopause? Redefine yourself, ladies. Um, use this time as an opportunity to vision out the rest of your life. Uh, I think it's a really pivotal time in our lives and it's something to be celebrated and not something to be uh, avoided or to not talk about. I want to talk about it. I, I think it's so good that you have your podcast and all the work that you're doing on this topic. Let's bring it to light because I think it can empower women in physical, emotional, mental, and even spiritual ways. So I'm excited to see what comes of it for myself anyway, as I move through the process. So thanks for your great work. Thank you, Deanna. Have a wonderful day and a good night, good morning, good evening, wherever you guys are listening from. Take care. Bye-bye. Hey, did you enjoy the podcast? Don't forget to subscribe to be notified of all the new episodes and leave a review to help build the tribe. It's a small act of kindness that brings me big benefits and helps others find this amazing content. The best thing you can do is share. Sharing is caring. Statements made on this podcast have not been evaluated by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Anything we say or products we mention are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Information provided by this podcast is not a substitute for personal medical advice and not intended to replace a one-on-one -on -one relationship with a qualified healthcare professional. It is intended as a sharing of knowledge and information from the personal research and experience of me and my guests.